Hello, world from the Rookery End. You join us on a sunny day on Euston Road outside the Rocket Pub. Uh, my name is John, with me is Mike. Good day. Uh, is it morning? Good morning still? Yeah. Yeah, good morning. Well, technically it shouldn't be because we have pints in front of us, Michael, and, and this is what I hate about these early starts. Um, 12.30 kickoff, you have to have a drink before the game, and it just makes me feel like the Premier League are forcing me to come across as an alcoholic. I think it's the, uh, the idea of playing Tottenham this afternoon with what sounds like we've got about six fit players um, Tottenham have got Harry Kane coming back so I think we should be thankful that we're only drinking pints of beer and not pints of uh, whiskey or Sam Allardyce's wine <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll, we'll head off to the game and we'll, we'll, we'll talk about what happens at the game later on the podcast uh, also got a bit of a rundown speaking to uh, some fans at the City Horns event that was on this week it was a club came along uh, with key executives for an at your place event we'll talk about that later on as well as yeah just what's, what, what happens on our day from here to uh, to the our final trip to the original White Hart Lane, uh, we're joined today uh, by our friend Kieran. Are you right, Kieran? Hello. Good morning, uh, Kieran. You've been on the podcast several times, uh, talking about the, the the ladies' game. But but let, let's start off. We are currently on thirty seven points. We sit ninth in the Premier League, uh, and in fact, we are now equal to where we were this time last year under Kike. Exactly. In terms of wins, losses, and draws, is, is exactly. Yep. Oh. So the question is, we, we talked a bit about what, how this season was better already, Mike. We sort of said the fact that we play, you know, that, that we've had some bigger wins this year. That sort of already are making this season, in many some ways, better. Yeah, it's been a funny season. I was thinking back to the start of the um, start of the year. I was thinking about the. It's almost been the. We had the Zola coaster, didn't we? Mm-hmm. And it's been the sort of the Mazzari coaster hasn't it because I think when he started off I was looking back to that first quarter of the season and I was quite impressed with the way that he was willing to, to change the side start different different sides change the formation a little bit which is of course why everyone got so upset with Kike he's kept, kept the same team even when it wasn't necessarily working stuck to the same tactics when it wasn't necessarily working and just sort of, it's been a really it's been like a patchwork of a season hasn't it we've had good bits we've had bad bits we've had memorable moments and I don't think we've ever really known where we where we stood, really, to be completely honest. I think this is the first time sitting here today in the what is it April sunshine that we we know we're we're safe. I think at the start of the season we started off so well we thought we would be. Um, so I think it's a good time to reflect on. It's been quite weird, hasn't it? Well, the thing is, last year with with Kike was we had a great start. So it was it was two halves. Yeah. And that's like, that's why the fact you used the word patchwork. For, for this season was Kike was that and then he was that it was great and it was terrible and this has been you know a bit of this and a bit of that and a bit of this, bad and a bit of good all the way throughout the whole season for, for lots of different reasons not just one particular reason um, but let's let's think we're at the same place yeah. Kieran we've got eight games left and last year in those eight games we got eight points out of two wins against West Brom against Villa uh, and two draws uh, what what do you want to happen in the last eight games for, for it truly to be a better second season in the Premier League? Well, I think first off, the priority has got to be get to that magic 40 points and secure our safety. I think that's always the, the priority for a team of our size, isn't it? I know you want to try and better last season, but, but going on what Mike said as well, I think you know it has been patchy this season, but I think it's been a patchy Premier League. I think with the exception of Chelsea and Tottenham, how many teams in this division have had runs that have not not been great how many teams have had runs that have been really consistent you know I look at teams like Man United who have struggled to score at home have struggled to get wins at home and as far as we're concerned I think what I want from the last eight games is I really want us to be competitive I think the problem I have this season is I don't know what Watford team's going to turn up 
there are games that we turn up to where we're expecting to get something out of it and we don't and then there are games like the Arsenal game away at the Emirates we'd obviously just come off of the 1-0 FA Cup defeat against Millwall we were all pretty down about it we were all expecting a hammering at the Emirates we went there we put in a performance for 90 minutes and we, we came out of a 2-1 victory we've got some hard games in those last eight I think that's the difficulty we picked up like you said was it eight points in those last eight games last season I think the difficulty that we've got is I'm not sure where the points come from in that last eight. We've got a Leicester team that are different to the team that we played against earlier on in the season. And, you know, I, I struggle to see where those wins are coming from. We'll be fine. I'm not in any way worried that we're going to enter into a relegation battle. But I think it's going to be a tough last eight games. What I think is absolutely fascinating is that I think these last eight games define Matsari's Watford career and whether it, it continues or not. I think he's still in with a big shout of of continuing in the Watford job next year despite a sort of um, slightly rocky ride certainly with the supporters obviously we can't comment on how um, the sort of the board how, how the boardroom have reacted to, to, to Matt Sire's performance this year but I think this eight, these last eight games we've, we've done what he'd done what we had to do and got six points from, from those two what looked like pivotal home games against Sunderland and West Brom now he's got an opportunity to show that he can get this talented group of players going on a regular basis like Kieran said they just we don't know which, which Watford team is going to turn up and I think you have to lay at least a proportion of the blame at the head coach for that um, these, we know these are talented players even when we've, we've played really badly there's been snippets of great play from, from virtually everyone on the pitch everyone's capable so his job now for this last sort of couple of months this last eight games is to get them going uh, and to get performances out of them and almost regardless of, of opposition the shackles are off now we are you know we're safe no one's gonna no one's gonna catch us up now so it's, this it's a really fascinating opportunity for us to sort of relax and sit back as supporters and they're, they're kind of Matsari is almost on trial I think for these last eight months this, the eight games and it's a real opportunity for him just to uh, to prove what he can do with this Watford squad because the last year we, we you know, Kieran you, you mentioned it that what we've got to come but you also mentioned the fact that we, we've turned up and we beat Man United and beat Arsenal you know there's, there's Spurs today uh, there's there's Liverpool and there's Chelsea and there's Manchester City there's four massive massive games but we can win one of them of course we can and, and we've shown that we can beat big teams and I think last season we showed that we can compete with big teams I think Mike's talking about Matt Zari being on trial I think some of the players are as well if you look at what has happened from last season to this season players who were maybe involved in the first team last year who were in that run towards the end of last year where we didn't pick up many points they're not here anymore you know the likes of Alman Abdi and Odi Nagalo you know if you don't perform and if you don't get better than you were the previous season the likely it is that you're going to be shipped out and if we do stay up and, and as I've already said I'm confident we will do I'm almost certain that there will be players in this current team who probably won't be there next season. So not only is Matt Zari on trial, some of the players are on trial as well. So I think they now have to show over the next eight games what they can do. And in those big games, those clubs that you've just mentioned, what better show, what better platform and what better stage to perform on? You know, the likes of Manchester City and Chelsea and you know, Chelsea are gunning for their first for a title and, and Manchester City are looking for Champions League football. These teams are not going to be resting up. They're not going to be resting players. Which players do you think are at risk at the, as it stands? Well, I mean, you, you know, in terms of players at risk, I'm not sure whether at risk, but, you know, someone like Mbai Niang, who is on loan, I'm sure will be looking to make the move permanent. As Troy Deeney said in his post-match interview, he was on fire in the week against West Brom. Superb goal that he scored. But I would look at someone like Valon Barami, who may be over the age of 30, who I'm struggling to see with the with the emergence of, of Abdelou Decore over the last few games as to whether Valon will be able to, to cement a, t a place in the team next season. I just think that 
you know, year on year when you're in the Premier League, teams look to get better and better players. And Vallon has been superb for us, and I'm not trying to single him out. I think some of the defenders, I've not been overwhelmed with Miguel Britos this season. I think the mistake that he had against West Brom was the latest in, uh, not necessarily a catalogue, but I think he's not been the player this year that he was last year. I think there are certain players that haven't performed maybe as well as they did last season. And I think some of them will be nervous about their positions coming into the summer. Poor old uh, Britos, a uh, uh, McGillitany of errors. McGillitany. <laughs> Keep going, Mike. Yeah. But we, we've got eight points the last eight games. Is that going to be enough to sort of equal last year in terms of points total? It's a different league and, you know, we were five points behind Chelsea last year. We're not going to be five points behind Chelsea this year. Um, what, what more, what, what in terms of, is there a points total you think you've got in your head now? No, I don't think there's a points total. I think it's performances now. I think it's about getting the best out of it. I think last year was sort of tainted to the wrong word, but everyone sort of said, well, we've still got the cup semi-final, we've still got the cup semi-final, we've still got the cup semi-final. And then obviously we turned up and then we didn't have the cup semi-final because <laughs> it, uh, it was atrocious. I think it'd be daft to sort of like put an arbitrary points sort of target. I think the, the target is simple, stay in the division. And I think we're going to do that. So whether we get 45 points, whether we get 48 or whether we get 39, I think is... It's kind of by the by. It's the way. It's the way we perform. I think it's it's just a sort of consistent performances. All too often, when it when the chips have been down against tough tough opposition, Liverpool away, Arsenal at home, Tottenham at home, are three examples. We have been pathetic, absolutely pathetic. Stoke at home was another one. Just completely limp, unable to take the to the fight to a team who wanted it more. So we've come unstuck against teams who have been. Um, better than us from a class point of view just better players better resource and so on and so forth and we've come up and stuck against teams who have wanted it more and won't accept that anymore for the rest of the season I think that's that's going to be the measure of the of the running not capitulating in the face of a challenge whether it's like a game like today whether it's against Tottenham where you've got you know stock full of internationals who you'd expect to, to challenge for the Premier League next year or whether it's against a team like Hull or Swansea who are, who are fighting for their lives Watford need to play need to be Watford we need to form a bit of identity like we did at West Brom it's the first time in a long time that we felt together there that, that Watford team stuck stuck together battled hard um, to a man you know Mary Appa came back in and, and was in the trenches Hollabas was disciplined again Deeney worked his sort of, we, got, we got what we needed from that team and the, and the crowd responded I think it's the best atmosphere that's been at, at Vicarage Road for a long time of that last 20 minutes that's what we need that sort of wholeness there needs to be a together um, and a coherent cohesive performance for the running I don't mind if we lose to Tottenham I don't mind if we lose to, to Liverpool but what I do mind is if we do it without a, a whimper that is no longer acceptable this, this side is good enough um, the manager's got enough experience let's, let's not muck around I don't really care about the points what I want to see is a consistent level of performances from now on in a podcast made by Watford fans for Watford fans from the rookery end this week uh, the City Hornets a fan group uh, were lucky enough to hold a, at your place where the club send out managers and executives uh, from across the club to, to answer questions uh, this week uh, we had uh, Rob Smith who's head of the Community Trust Glyn Evans, who's head of operations and looks after the stadium. Chris McGuan from the academy. Uh, Richard Walker, who's head of uh, uh, interaction with fans and tickets and media and all that sort of stuff. Head of media and communications. That's the one. It's quite a complicated title. Uh, and uh, You made it a complicated title. That's why you're not head of media and communications. <laughs> and also Felipe Giraldi, who is the, uh, the head of uh, technical director of Watford. Um, it was a really interesting night. And um, after the questions, uh, I had a quick chat to three Watford fans. Uh, Paul Goss, Pete Bradshaw, uh, Francis Lynn. 
Pete, you know, what, what is City Horns? Yeah, so City Horns is a, a group for Watford fans who live or work in London. So we meet up once a month. It started off with a, a guy, Julian, who lived in Watford but was exiled to Sidcup in Kent. I mean, it's sad, isn't it, really? But, <laughs> so he missed, he missed the chat in the pub with his mates about football. So he said, well, can we do anything about this? And he actually asked GT, can we do anything about this? But as a result of that, the City Horns was born. So we're... Yeah, a group of friends, really. We meet up once a month, at least, and we do events like these. So we're at your place, you know, the, the main thing that the club do, they, they come and do what is essentially a fans forum, but it's an open opportunity for fans to ask questions. Paul, uh, overall, how did this one feel for you tonight? Yeah, very good evening, actually. Um, really like the way the club organised these. Obviously, without the radio here, they can be a little bit more frank in their answers, and... Uh, it's just a general feeling that you know you're talking, you're able to communicate with people at the club, and they will be able to give you answers as honestly as they can do. Yeah, Fran, well, everyone, is there anything particular that sort of really stood out for you from what they said? The person that I hadn't seen before was Filippo, and so it's very interesting hearing him talk about the team, about the way that they do the training, about about the recruitment. I mean, I, I, the thing that I loved was actually when he said that after transfer deadline day the next day Gino said well let's start looking for the players for the summer and he was like can't we have a week off no because other everybody else is taking two weeks off you start working now and I thought that was brilliant but I think what was great about the evening was having that variety of people and the different perspectives and so sort of all those different aspects of the club so I think it was an opportunity to learn quite a lot and and a lot of things I mean I tend to sort of be a bit of an obsessive and listen to a lot of things and I, I learned a hell of a lot tonight so it was brilliant. Uh, Pete what's that for you? Echo what Fran said about getting all those different views people you don't normally hear and I think the thing that stood out for me was hearing Chris McGuane talking about all the tours that the youngsters are going on now so I knew about the one in Japan but you know they're going to France tomorrow they've been in the Netherlands and just how the the club is still developing these young lads as as people as well as footballers yeah. yeah he did tell one particular story about a young lad who'd never seen the sea before that's right uh, on, a, on a tour they went into Ireland you think that's just like that's, that's what you call forming a, a human being not just uh, can they kick a football and know how to, to make good runs into the box uh, Paul particularly yeah, any, any, anyone sort of uh, stand out for you any that you're hearing from them who you don't normally hear from that you liked Stuff that we can tell that we're yeah, yeah, yeah. obviously because um, that is one that is one of the lovely thing. There was several points throughout the whole evening. They said no, no, no. Yeah. This stays in the room. This is the and, and I think that's that was a lovely feeling we got from it. Yeah, because uh, there were things that were mentioned about. It's interesting from Filippo him talking about uh, his experiencing with experiences with the officiating and how some clubs manage the fourth official, as it were. We could, um, we'll leave it at that. And uh, basically then the other story was really was great about, you know, that young lad that you mentioned, that was quite touching and good to see that the club is still seeing these boys are coming through the academy as people first and not just sort of resources. And that was really good to hear. Thank you very much for you guys for putting it on and allowing me to come along. Um, and there'll be hopefully be more uh, City Horn events. But the clubs who put on these at your places are all over the place. Um, they did one recently uh, in uh, in the, the, the southern counties. Uh, so please uh, do uh, do if you see about them, get involved. You, you definitely get to hear some fantastic stuff from uh, from key people. Just to plug an event we've got coming up in May, May the nineteenth. We've got a talk at the Southwark Brewery Company, Friday, May the nineteenth, eight o'clock. Um, Fred Spixley, who was a bit of a character, who played for Watford in 1906, but um, first coach to ever coach on three continents, uh, went through several marriages and all sorts of things. Uh, come along here about that, 8 o'clock, May the 19th. 
how important are these evenings in, John? I, th- I, th- I think they are. In, in, I, I asked um, Richard, did, did he know anybody else who did this? And he said the only place he thinks that has done it is Burnley. And that was because of, of Dyche. Right. And he'd seen how they'd worked here, but he wasn't aware of anything above a, a fans forum um, that's you know, based at the club. And I sort of left the event still having my love of Watford and still having that feeling that I do feel close to my club uh, and I do feel closer to my club than, than many friends who support other, other football clubs. And I, I, you know, I always enjoy the, the, the little details, I, you know, the, the little things that they talk about the club, not necessarily the footballing side of it. We did have um, uh, Felipe there and he was sort of answering the, the footballing questions. There was no manager there, there was no chairman there because Scott does a lot of these all the time. But it was quite interesting that the, the, the little things you don't normally get to hear about, but you actually get to hear about them there. Uh, and I think that helps me draw a bit closer to my football club. Can you share any of them? Well, there was definitely some occasions, as Paul said, where you know this stays within the room. Um, but the bits all really stood out for me, the bits, well, maybe the bits excited me the most. The stuff that came from Glynn, uh, when he talks about the stadium, you know, he says, he didn't say how or what, but he said you know, he has been instructed to try and find a way of making Vicarage Road 25,000. And there are many ways he's sort of exploring it. And you think, that's great. You know, there are... You know, is it another tier? Is it a rebuild of a stadium? He didn't know, but he said that's where he's working on. You think, well, that's that's good. That's it, it is being thought about, and it, we are growing as a, as, a, as a football club in, in all those ways. You know, we've already mentioned the, the fantastic stuff and the, the heartwarming stuff that, that Chris McGuan said, and the, the stuff we can't really talk about is the stuff that um, that Felipe sort of mentioned, um, the, the the footballing side and, and what's going on, and hearing from him not from a manager I think was really breath of fresh air to, to the events I'd never heard from him before I know you did at the, at the fans forum that the, they had at the, at the club yep. but they are they're, they're important that they are part of the Watford identity I think it's, I think it is important to recognise these things and it does sound like we're smoking, blowing smoke at the, at the club's backside a little bit but just imagine how easy it would be not to do these things how easy it would be not to organise you know it's midweek and they've got a good number of, of important Watford staff there to go and answer questions frankly they say at the start I'm going to assume this is like the one that we've been to before nothing's off limits no. um, they'll obviously if there's for a reason for not answering they'll explain the reason so easy not to do these but they do so regardless of of what we think of what's happening on the pitch regardless of how you think the players are performing regardless of what you think of the of the manager this has been a constant thing for Watford before the Pozzo era this is this is ingrained in in Watford Football Club and it shows that they understand the interest uh, and the passion of the supporters but also the importance of the supporters and how integral they are to the football club and how they want to get that message across not via the website not via um, emails face to face you can look uh, these guys in the eye and ask them anything you want about your football club and, and that is a rare rare opportunity and it, and it should be cherished and even if you can't make it and even if it's not, not your cup of tea I think it's important that you recognise that, that Watford do these with good intentions and yeah how easy would it be for them not to do it you know they're so busy but they, they make it happen uh, and I think it's really important and you're right it does give you a little keeps that little flame burning doesn't it of, of love for your football club and uh, yeah I'm just always thoroughly impressed I love hearing about them wasn't able to make this one but yeah sounds like another fantastic event a podcast by Watford fans for Watford fans this is from the rookery end so the game finished as you probably know Tottenham Hotspur for Watford nil uh, my a weird weird feeling leaving that game not I didn't quite feel like a 4-0 didn't, didn't feel like we were th- we weren't made to look like fools, were we? 
we were hammered. Yeah, but we're not we're not fools. No, not fools. And you're right, Ian. I understand what you mean with the with the weird feeling. I think the fact that it's a, an early kickoff, uh, a sunny day in London, it's too hard to get upset with the world, isn't it? When a couple of beers uh, inside you, and then the promise of a couple of beers in the sunshine after. Football's all about a day out, uh, about a day out, and spending some time with your friends. So hard to get too too antsy. And also to give Watford some credit, the first 15 minutes or so, I thought they took it to Tottenham and, and gave a very good account of themselves. I think there were portents of what was going to happen later in the game because when they did have d- decent possession and decent um, opportunities, the, the final ball wasn't quite good enough and I don't think Lloris had anything to do the whole game. But yeah, the game was taken away from us in 11 minutes, wasn't it? After Deli Ali's great, great goal. Um, not a lot you can do about that one. And then blink 10 minutes later and it's 3-0 and, and, the, and the game's been put to bed so it's quite difficult to sometimes compute that having been in the game to being the game completely lost it doesn't happen that often um, so yeah it's sort of you're left not punch drunk but a little bit sort of ah, right didn't quite go to plan but but without being too too downbeat about it it's disappointing to lose 4-0 um, I think the nature of the goals we'll, we'll talk about obviously but um, I think most people accepted it was going to be a tricky um, a tricky afternoon for us as it proved the difference was the quality but I think there's a little kernel of we were better today than we were in the, in the home game although we've lost uh, as Chris Waddle I know is at the Tottenham uh, Tottenham link he likes to talk on aggregate doesn't he and we, uh, we lost 8-1 to Tottenham on aggregate <laughs> Kieran but, you know, look at that Tottenham side you know why they're second and they are out of all the you know having seen them twice this year against Watford. They are the most impressive side that I've, I've seen. Yeah, quality all over the park, haven't they? And we were talking on the on the walk up to the pub after the game that they've got a very settled side, and I think that's the difference between us and them. I think Walter has had through circumstance and sometimes through choice, he's rotated players, and even today we saw different personnel in different positions, um, which I think we're going to talk about. But Tottenham seem to be able to almost put the same eleven out week in, week out. Even if it's the odd one, you know, odd change here and there. Obviously, Harry Kane didn't start today because of his injury, but did come on. But the likes of Eric Dyer and Deli Ali and, and players like that—they've they've pretty much been there all season. And I think they've they've got that chemistry that maybe we haven't managed to gather over over the time that we've um, we've been under Walter Mazzari so far. Well, I think there's a little bit not just under Walter the last couple of years. It's it's actually they've it feels like they've. As all good teams, I think, do, they incrementally get better um, through player changes or expansion. And, and that's what Spurs have done. And that, maybe that's what, what we haven't done. Good, t- good team or not, though, I think we should be a little bit disappointed with the... I think the first goal, you've got to hand it to him. I think it's oh, just yeah. an absolute absolute perler of a strike, an absolute peach. And it sort of came from came from nowhere to a, to a degree. But I think the second and third goals, I think Watford were guilty of not reacting quick enough. Um, either not reacting to the, to the deflection, to the rebound for the second, and then not getting out... I think cleverly, and maybe I'm being a little bit harsh, but the way I saw it, I thought he was a little bit slow to close down and could have done more to, to get to the ball before before the third went in. And then the fourth, I thought, you know, Jan had completely switched off at the back post and allowed what was it in effect to tap in. So whilst, yes, I think we're right and we can take some sort of comfort from the fact that we were beaten by a very, very good side, we also do. We're a Watford podcast and we have to look about the way we performed. And what's disappointing is having set up quite nicely and having taken the game to him, we didn't deal with the with the setback of going one nil down well enough. It was almost like they we started at the, t- at the start of this little section say we're not too upset by it. Well, we're allowed not to be too upset because we're football fans out having a few beers on an afternoon in London. That's not doesn't apply to them. Um, and what we said before was we want to see a performance, and that means a complete performance. They're not allowed to be on the beach yet by any stretch of the imagination especially when you're playing a team in red hot form we haven't lost at home all season you have to be doing it you have to be on it from minute one to minute 90 and you have to say despite a few despite that good start it was I thought the goals were 
unfor- not unfortunate. They, I think we could have done more to, to at least try and stop them. The, the sort of surprise, let's say, when we saw the, t- the team at the beginning of the game, there were some changes, no Kapu, um, there was no Dini. And I suppose that was very interesting. He played on Tuesday against West Brom, didn't play last week against Sunderland. He didn't play, well, he came on very, very late, didn't he, Kieran? Yeah. Was, he, was he missed? At the beginning of the game? Yeah, I think he was. And and I said it to you guys earlier, I think he was missed, especially when we went behind, um, especially when we went behind 2-0. I just looked at the body language and I looked at the players on the field and the heads had dropped and I didn't see anyone out there rallying them. I didn't see anyone out there kind of geeing them up and saying, look, lads, you know, yes, it's 2-0, but we're almost at halftime. Let's get in at the scoreline and let's have a go in the second half. And, you know, as Mike said, you know, the third goal effectively killed the game before halftime. And... I think Deeney would have been that player who would have been into them saying, look, lads, come on, let's let's have a go. You know, we know that we're not expected to get anything here, but I, I kind of, with the injuries that we've got and obviously the suspensions, I didn't see really any leadership out there today. And I think Troy would have been that player. So, yeah, it was, it was disappointing not to see him involved because I think he could have potentially added something up front as well. We got into some half-decent positions at times and, and we weren't really able to capitalise on that. So I think it's interesting... Troy isn't it the last week or so it's been shrouded in a little bit of confusion I think it's fair to say because in the in the week leading up to the the Sunderland game there were noises coming out that Deeney's been unwell and is unlikely to start and then he didn't start but was on the bench and you think well if someone's not well enough to to be part of, of the team then probably not well enough to be part to be a substitute and then subsequently there was the piece the excellent piece on the Watford website came about a training and it turned out that he'd been training all week as well so if he was poorly how how ill was he so whether you have to ask questions as to whether that was a little bit of a smoke screen for for him not playing and then he'd recovered from whatever it was if he had if he was ill to play on Tuesday and then uh, and then Walter sort of uh, Matsari in, in the in the week was sort of talking about injuries yes so Kabul we know about being injured and, and the long-term injuries but then he started, he mentioned his other long list of names and fatigue was the in you know in in uh, inverted commas the 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 injury that now that for me isn't an injury and it it struck me that two things one what's going on with Troy and Matsari because it seems to be a lot of different stories coming out a lot of sort of theories coming out but over the last three matches Troy started one out of three and I don't for me I don't think he's been unfit it, I think from what I can garner from the stuff coming out of the club the official website nothing I've been told or anything like that um, he started one out of three and he's been fit for all three um, so is there a bit of a power struggle between between Dini and Matsari developing that's that's an interesting one um, and with the focus on Matsari, had he given up on this game almost? You know, resting, if he's rested Dini, if he's rested Kapu, um, is that a bit of a, a white flag? Possibly not. But was he getting his excuses in early is my question. I always remember when uh, I was lucky enough to be out in Brazil for the, for the World Cup. And in the lead up to the Uruguay game, England had to win that. And it was obvious that we had to win it. But um, Roy Hodgson was saying, I think a draw would be OK. And it's, that's not what you want to hear, because that's already letting in you're already thinking about anything something other than winning and that always sends alarm bells ringing for me and it's whether Walter Matsari was setting us up for well what ultimately happened today so I think there's some interesting things that'll be worth keeping tabs on on what comes out of the club in terms of um you know explanations behind the behind team selection obviously they don't have to tell us anything and and people will draw their own conclusions but I think it's just it's just interesting that that relationship between Matsari and Dini just to see how that that develops it's interesting, though, I was saying after the post-match on, on Tuesday against West Brom, he doesn't see it as being rested, does he? I think in the post-match he said, you know, the manager dropped me against yeah. Sunderland. You know, he clearly, if he was dropped, 
or if he thinks he was dropped, then clearly he was he was fit. Yeah. You know, he would he didn't say you know obviously I was rested because I wasn't fit going into Saturday. I'd been unwell the previous week. He's always very open. That is the one thing you will get with Troy with post-match interviews. He's always very very honest, and he used the words the manager dropped me, and I'm certain. And actually, if I remember rightly, I think he was rested or dropped in the game last season against White Hart Lane um, against Tottenham at White Hart Lane by Kike. So maybe something about playing here for some reason. Maybe he was dropped to give her an opportunity for Isaac's success to play up front. Came across, though, Mike, as a, as a player who hasn't played a lot of football. Yeah, I think it was always going to be a big ask, especially the way the, the game panned out. We had that great start, and I think had we managed to go in at half-time still in the game, I think he would have had more of a part to play and would have been more effective. Um, I don't think he had a great 90 minutes, to be perfectly honest. I think... Um, the other attacking um, Niang didn't have a have a great game. Uh, I thought Amrabat was pretty average again. To be to be perfectly honest, I thought he made some some poor decisions. So if we're talking at su- about success, I don't think he necessarily got the support he needed to turn in the, the performance that we would hope to have seen from him. You know, there's been a lot of people clamouring to see him uh, start a game, and we got 90 minutes out of him today. But I think a combination of a couple of off days from teammates um, and then the way the game panned out meant that it was always going to be difficult for success to make uh, any sort of an impact. I thought it was a bit frustrating, to be honest. I thought he was, um, like so many of the other Watford, uh, Watford teammates, over, overran the ball, heavy touch. Um, last ball was, 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 was poor, was overhit. So, yeah, I think a lot of them will be disappointed. And I think, to be honest, uh, Isaac's success will be one of them. That was a, a great opportunity, the wide open spaces of of White Hart Lane, especially after they went 4-0 up where they had absolutely no desire to do anything. Uh, that was an opportunity to to maybe get a, some sort of moment, mini momentum, you know, in that last 20, 25 minutes and do something, but he didn't really, he wasn't able to. So I'm not going to, we can't judge anyone, anyone on that game really, um, certainly not, not Isaac's success, but I think he'll be disappointed and I think probably um, a lot of Watford fans watching would have, would have been disappointed as well. From the rookery end. Uh, we're still on the, uh, not the search, but we're trying to analyse who should be the Watford player of the, the season. Nobody is shining out to us. So this week um, we met up with uh, Andy from the Hornets Nest blog uh, for put his name forward for who he thought should be the player of the season. And after our chat about not being in today's starting eleven, uh, Andy put his case forward for Troy Deeney. Having one player of the season in 2014 and 15, last season was simply an anomaly. And it's time now to return to normality. Troy deserves the award not just for being our top goalscorer, but because he's one of the few players who can deliver his acceptance speech in fluent English, (laughs) something which will come as a breath of fresh air to us as supporters. Troy's generosity also deserves to be acknowledged. And despite reaching the milestone of 100 goals for the Hornets this season, he's still found time to score for the opposition. In a season where our club identity has been questioned and fans divided, Troy has helped keep us together and he's arguably had greater responsibilities as captain off the pitch more so than on it. The way he conducted himself with the media after GT's passing, for example, was a credit to the club under difficult circumstances. Our captain, our talisman and a club legend. Don't make this another Brexit or Trump. Vote Deeney. <laughs> hmm, the thick Brummie accent. Uh, is that going to be the quite the same? Uh, well... He may struggle to speak fluent English with that accent, but uh, we'll let him off, I think, for the 100 goals. Who's his closest rival, do you think, then? It's a tough one this season, because I don't think uh, a lot of people have sort of stood out. You know, last season, obviously, Gomez was going to win it. Season before, obviously, Dini. But everyone's sort of had that inconsistent spell. Um, I think, arguably, Berami and Gomez, to a point. But I think Gomez has made a 
few more mistakes this season, which is why he won't. I don't think he'll win it this season. But he's obviously, you know, still one of our one of our best players and one of our most consistent. But uh, for me, I just think in terms of not what's happened on the pitch, some of what's happened off the pitch, Dini has had to be there for us and has uh, has done an exceptional job this season. We're the Orns. You're the Orns. Thank you very much for listening. Uh, before you go, though, uh, Kieran gave us quite a, a, a good question on the tube on our way back from uh, Tottenham. Um, if you were going to have a retro hipster Watford player, Mike, on your shirt, what player would you pick? Yeah, it came about because we saw someone with a Sheringham top, and it was sort of it's quite cool, isn't it? I think. So if you're going to avoid Barnes, Blissett, any of those guys, it's going to be a hipster one. I think I'd have to go with. Um, D. Bardsley, David Bardsley. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I think that's pretty good. I think it's an oblique enough uh, reference, isn't it? Or oh, the other one I thought of is uh, Rick Holden. I quite like Holden on the back. Okay, I was going to go with Glyn Hodges. You love him. I love Glyn Hodges. Yeah, I absolutely love him. For me, you know, I said to you, Ramage. What about Ramage? And you said too far too mainstream. And I think I think Craig would would agree. And uh, you also wouldn't mind me calling him Craig, would you, Craig? <laughs> um, Mr. Ramage. Warrell Sterling. <laughs> well, yeah, I think Warrell Sterling would be a decent one because, yeah, I'm going to do it, God damn it. <laughs> so, you, you say next season, when the, the, the brand oh, new you, Adidas shirt comes out, have all the shirts you get stuck on the back of your. And you've said it now, we've got to record it, Michael. We, you know, you're going to get the first year we've had an Adidas shirt. And, you know, you know, since we were seven and coming to Watford Games, we've, we've wanted to have an Adidas shirt. And the name you're going to get put on the back of your one is. I haven't wanted an Adidas shirt since I was seven. What can't you have to have done? Um, I'm going to have Sterling, but I will have W Sterling, so I don't want it to get uh, don't want it to get mistaken for Raheem, a far inferior player to, to Big Wazza. <laughs> Again, thank you very much for listening. Uh, do follow us on social media uh, at Wolf Podcast on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Uh, Kieran, uh, your your podcast. Where can uh, Watford fans pick up on that? Uh, they can look at it on, uh, or they can listen on womenssoccerzone.com and we're on Twitter on at wosozone, W-O-S-O-Z-O-N-E. Yeah, it's uh, the, the, the best women's soccer podcast out there. You have to say soccer because it does not just color, cover the, uh, the English game, it all covers America. Um, uh, but Kieran and his uh, co-host JJ uh, do a fantastic job. And, you know, I'm not au fait with these things, Michael, but you sort of get a really good vibe about what's going on and where the women's game is. And you know, hopefully this year we're going to see a little bit more from Watford. And before we carry on, I don't think you have to um, apologise for calling it soccer because that is the original game of the sport. That's the original name of the sport. We called it soccer before we called it football, so it's a common misconception. Sorry to get stern on you, but sometimes you have to be putting it put in your place. Yeah, I think Kieran does absolutely fantastic work. I think anyone who follows him on Twitter will see how dedicated he is to, to the sport and um, I highly recommend following Kieran and, and all his work. But yeah, in terms of, in terms of the ladies' game... There's no denying it. I still see a lot of pushback. Still see a lot of people not convinced it's um, it's football and worth following. And, and I disagree. It's it's, it's only going to get bigger. Um, it's getting more professional. It's getting more coverage, uh, and rightly so. So, no better place to find out about it than uh, the following Kieran and Women's Soccer Zone. Thank you much, Kieran. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you, Michael. Uh, no, no problem. Onwards and upwards. <laughs>